This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. Matthew chapter 11 and 1. Today we're going to be talking about doubt. Has anybody here ever doubted before? Had doubts about God, doubts about religion, doubts about anything? Have you ever had that before? Wow, just a few. You guys are super spiritual. Let's call it a day. Come on. Amen. This is a very spiritual group. Okay. Um, yeah, like it, it, maybe you're in doubt. Maybe you've had doubt. Maybe you're doubting whether you've ever had doubt. I don't know. But, but everyone at some point at some time is going to have doubt. You're going to doubt things. You're going to have that moment where you're going, I don't know. And I want to address that moment because if you haven't had it, one day you're going to have that moment. And what do we do in that moment? Here's what it says. Matthew 11 and 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, let me, let me just remind you, this is John the Baptist. This is the guy who baptized Jesus. This is the guy who saw the Spirit descend like a dove. This is the guy who told half of Israel, this is the Lamb of God, follow him. And now he's in prison going, I don't know. I've had some cool experiences, but I don't know. He's behind the bars going, I'm not sure. And you're going to find yourself in that moment at some point where you're going, this isn't adding up the way I saw that this was all supposed to add up. I, this is supposed to, the, 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 the pastures were supposed to be a lot greener over here, following, following the Lord, doing His will, right? But you're going to have that moment. And Jesus answered in verse 4, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blesses the one who is not offended by me. Offended by me. And then Jesus sends the disciples off, John's disciples, and says, okay, go tell them all that stuff. And then while they're going, Jesus says, hey, let's talk about John. John was pretty amazing. He, he's a pretty bad-of-the-bone guy. In fact, what did you go out to see? A reed shaking in the wind. What did you go out to see? All you that went out and got baptized by John, what, what do you make of this man? And this is what he says in verse 11. This is what Jesus says. Watch what Jesus says. A profound statement about this guy who's doubting. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. But the, great, the least in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. What he's saying is this. In the New Testament, those in faith in Christ will be greater than the least or the greatest. The, the least in that kingdom will be greater than the greatest in this Old Testament story. But of all the prophets in the Old Testament, John is the best. And John, at that very moment, is going, I don't even know if I know. And it happens to every one of us. So we're going to talk about doubt today. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts, let your spirit speak to us, 
Let the word of God go forth in power and strength and might and wisdom and understanding. Let it fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Talk about shadow of a doubt. There's a lot of different kinds of doubts, but I want to start with the first kind of doubt. Intellectual doubt. Intellectual doubt. You're going to have a day where your doubt comes intellectually. And it's an interesting, you know, the, the idea of intellectual doubt is, is kind of interesting because most people, when it comes to religious talk, when it comes to religion uh, at all, most people think they know a lot, but really don't know a lot. And that, that's kind of the plague, really, is, you know, we, we live in, an, in, in a generation where, like, if you want to know something, you know who you ask? Your kids. Because your kids know how to get on Google and Google it. Back in the day, you used to ask grandma and grandpa, what did the ancestors do? Now you ask the kids, and the kids Google it for you. Just an interesting time. And the other day, I was having um, some hot tea, getting my antioxidants on, getting my antioxidants on. I'm there sipping hot tea, and across the room at this public place is, is a big screen TV, and they're watching the Giants go Giants. They're watching the Giants there. And, and, and this guy starts talking about the Giants. He's talking about baseball. He's talking about what the Giants need to do because the Giants were losing. This is a couple days ago. They're losing in the baseball game. And he's like, he's ranting, he's talking. And I'm listening to him going, I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about. He's like making up words that aren't even baseball. Like he has no idea. He's like, they ought to do this. And, and I'm going, oh, I don't know, but I'll just sip my tea, get my antioxidants. I don't know. And, and then all of a sudden he goes, yeah, the game's almost over. It's the eighth inning. There's only eight innings in the game. And some other guy, like all the other guys are like, aren't there nine? <laughs> no, no, there's eight. And like they're having this conversation. Is there eight or nine? And I'm going, oh, my goodness. The guy who's the smartest guy in the room about baseball doesn't even know how many innings there are in baseball. And this is like perfect about religion because what ends up happening is we have these deep conversations with people who really don't even know. And most of the time, people who walk away from their faith, honestly, it's never for an intellectual issue. They never go, oh my goodness, more information has come out. They, they found some antiquities that have proven that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. We found Jesus' body. These things don't happen. It, it, it usually doesn't come from an intellectual mind. In fact, a fair-minded person, when they look into Christianity, there are even atheists who were atheists, born and raised atheists, who peeked into Christianity and saw that these truths started adding up, and they became Christians. Some of the greatest apologists of our day became Christians because they started looking at the facts. What's great about Christianity is it's not a factless faith. It's not something that you just say, oh, you just got to believe. and It's, it's wishy-washy, some philosophy that somebody says that came out of a cave and says, I got some great truth, and you just have to believe it because if you don't believe it, you're in trouble. There's actual evidence. I can measure the Bible. I can measure Christ. Did Jesus Christ die? Does history say he died? Do the eyewitnesses say he died? Can we find out if he's dead? Did he die? Was he buried? Was he raised again? And over and over and over again, we find it stands up against the critics over and over again. Amen. So we have people, we have people like C.S. Lewis, atheist becomes Christian, Faye Weldon, Peter Hitchens, Alistair McGrath, Lee Strobel, journalists, uh, astrophysicists, people who started out without faith but looked in and said, you know what, this is not just some kind of philosophy. This is an event that we can either look at, we can look at, did Christ die? Was he raised from the dead? Because here's one uniform thing that all of us know. 
Dead people, when they die, they stay dead. This makes a claim that something different happened. And that is worth looking into. And so what's cool about the scripture is it can be measured. You can measure it, you can look, and you can say, did this really happen? There are people's names, there are places, there are, there are statements about science and the universe and creation, and we can put it up against all those things. We can put it up against archaeology and science, and again and again and again and again, it stands the test of time. We don't have just a thinkless religion. We have a, a theology that's rooted in experience and tangible evidence over and over and over. In fact, uh, I, I heard this because, you know, if you, if you watch a couple Discovery Channel shows or his, History Channel, you know, you know everything, right? Right? We, you watch one of those shows, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I get it now. I understand the cosmos. It's perfect. It makes perfect sense. But, you know, people say, well, Jesus lived in a time where everyone thought the world was flat. So he thought it was flat. And if he's God, then he shouldn't think it's flat, right? That's what people say. And, and, and they use these kind of arguments, and they say, well, how could, how could it be true? And here's the cool thing, is with this notion, you can go to the Scripture, and, and in the Scripture, you can pull out these timeless truths that Jesus, in fact, understood it as it is to be understood. In fact, when Jesus said that the Son of Man's coming back, remember this? He said, there'll be two in the field, one taken, the other's stuck. You're like, ah, you know, the rapture, right? You don't want to miss the rapture. Those are the ones that, like, don't read those, Pastor, because I, I didn't want to hear about the rapture. Because every time, like, something loud, a kaboom or a, a thunderstorm, I'm like, ah, did I miss it? Where's my parents, you know? And then, you know, but anyways, so these little story. Jesus says, he says, there's going to be two in the field. One's taken, one stays. Okay. There's going to be two grinding grain. One taken, one stays. Okay. There's going to be two in the bed. One taken, one stays. Ah, what did Jesus just tell us? He just told us that when he comes back, the Son of Man comes back, somewhere on the earth is going to be morning, because working in the field is what they did in the morning in the cool of the day. Grinding grain was something they did in the afternoon. They would grind the grain at the, in the afternoon, and then two people in the bed sleeping, obviously, is something you do at night. Jesus just said that imminent moment when he comes back, somewhere it will be nighttime, somewhere it will be morning, and somewhere it will be evening. And so again, the scripture shows us again and again and again and again and again that even Jesus in tucked in all of these scriptures that we just read through, is so much revelation and insight about our world, the cosmos, creation, and more than that, what's happening inside of us. Even science can't de determine what's inside of us. Why do we have will? Why do we have emotions? Why do we have all this stuff seated inside of us? The only one who can tell us why we're built, how we're built, is the one who built us, God Almighty. And I'm so thankful that we know our creator here today in Jesus' name. So... So what people aren't doing is they're not walking away because they look at the facts and go, oh, no, it doesn't stack up. There are some people who are walking away or refusing to buy into faith because of what we would call volitional doubt. Not because of intellectual doubt, but volitional doubt. What is volitional doubt? They choose, they decide, I do not want to believe. You may know people like this. I decide I do not want, I do not want to know or I do not want to believe. Second Peter chapter 3 and 3. Watch what the scripture says. It says this, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking in their own lust. And this passage has a lot to do with people rejecting truth, rejecting the Lord's coming, rejecting the scriptures, reject, rejecting God's will. For this they willingly are ignorant. They choose to be ignorant. They choose not to know. It's a volition. It's a choice. I have decided I want to do what I want to do. Therefore, I decide I don't believe. 
It's a volitional doubt. I don't want to do it. Romans 1 and 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Quit mentioning God when we talk. You ever heard people say that? I don't want to talk. Why do we have to talk about it? They do not want to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things that are un- inconvenient. Why? Because they wanted to live the way they wanted to live. So they had to push God out of their mind, out of their thoughts, out of their heart. So they could do what they wanted to do. Does anybody know John 3, 16? I think you almost have to know that scripture to like, like go to heaven. Like that's just like, if you don't, the rainbow guy at the, that the games knows John 3, 16. You guys know what I'm talking about? The rainbow guy? Okay, anyways, that's 70s, 80s. Okay, John 3, 16. For God so worlds that he, his I think I can. I think I can. Wow. <laughs> Let's start again. <laughs> For God so loved the world. That he, he was all... All right. That's like everybody knows that. Like if, if you, if, even if you don't know anything about the Bible, like you've heard that before. You've, you, you've heard. But here's what's interesting is, is if you keep reading John 3, 19, gives us this really interesting perspective. Watch this. John 3.19. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. People, in their own volition, decide, I don't want to believe. It's not convenient for me. It's not convenient for me. Now, I've given you two, intellectual doubt and volitional doubt. But 95 to 99% of the time, when someone walks away, drifts away from their faith, most of the time, it's emotional doubt. Everybody say emotional doubt. It's emotional doubt. And, and, and emotional doubt is interesting because we see John, who has baptized Jesus, seen these wonderful things, experienced all this amazing stuff, and now he's stuck behind prison bars what is happening this is not the way it's supposed to be this is not the story that i thought i was doing all this great stuff for god and now here i am stuck i i even heard jesus preach a sermon about visiting people in jail where's jesus jesus hasn't shown up i mean if you're not gonna jailbreak me at least come visit you ever been there before See, what frustrates our faith is not that, you know, the, the, the can God do it. It's that we know God can. We just don't know why he doesn't. You ever been there before? You're just like, God, if you can do this and this, why don't you do this and that? And so we barter with God like, like we know better. Like we know what he should do when he should do it. He should have done this this way. He should have come this way. And, and in God's infinite wisdom, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, we'll put it up here. It says, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And then the next verse, it gives us insight. Verse 9, as we put it up quickly. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So like, like if you can understand the cosmos... Then, then, then maybe you can begin to understand how vast my wisdom is. Like, like God's like, look, you just started understanding how big the cosmos were five 
five decades ago. I've known this the entire time. Look, you can't understand the why all the time. We want to know the why. We go, how can this happen? Why could you let this happen? And there's people in this room, you have church wounds. You have people who are religious who are supposed to do right, and they hurt you. There's people who, in the name of religion, in the name of God, did injustice in your life. And so what do we do? That emotional wound, that emotional pain turns into emotional doubt. How can there be a God? How can a good God allow bad things to happen? And we get frustrated. Anybody ever been there before? And so what we're being led by is we're being led by our emotions. How many knows that feelings are fickle? Because when you feel something, it changes your perspective, right? Here, here, here's what you should not do. You should not try to feel your way into acting right. You should act your way into feeling right. Most of us are trying to, we're trying to feel our way into doing right. If I feel it. We should act our way, do what we know is right until our feelings catch up because the feelings are fickle. Even Jeremiah says, he says this, he says, the heart is deceitful. Your emotions will trick you up. It happens. It happens to me. It happens to you. And if you base your faith in God based on your feeling, one day you'll wake up and go, I don't feel God. I don't feel like he cares. And the next thing you go, oh, I feel God. I feel goosebumps. It's wonderful to be loved by God. And the next thing you're going, where is he? Because it's based on feeling. And this is what Paul said. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. We know it. It's not based on feeling. It's not based on feeling. Like a couple days before Easter Sunday, we were burning the midnight oil. We were working here. Team was doing amazing, getting ready for uh, anybody come to Easter Sunday. Wasn't that amazing weekend? That doesn't happen without a lot of pre-work. And our, our team did a fabulous job, and I appreciate them very, very much. But we were here a lot, and, and so I ran over to Oliver's to get a sandwich. Sonoma, what's it called? Calistoga Honey. Dangerous. Dangerous sandwich. Anyways. So I get my little number, I'm like number 48, and they're on number like 8. And I'm like, Ugh. so I'm going to be a good pastor and have patience in case someone's watching. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so here they are, call the numbers, and finally, okay, I want, I want the Calistoga, you know. And so here we go, I'm waiting, and okay, here we go, got my sandwich, awesome. So I turn, and I look, and there's like one register open. And as soon as I look, I'm like 30, 35 feet away, I look, and, and an old man comes around the corner, and he's stacked with stuff, like probably 400 items. <laughs> just, it's not just in the top, it's like underneath, insure, like this guy's like 85 years old, and he's, he's hobbling. Well, we, we kind of like meet eyes, and I'm thinking like, and all of a sudden like the race is on, and he's like, he goes from like a hobble to like a, and so when you, write, when you race to get there, you can't act like you're running, but you gotta, you got to go big stride, you know? <laughs> and so we're like, we're like, and so like people are cutting me off, and I'm doing like, woo, I'm like doing turns, and I'm going to get there because I got one thing to buy. He's got 400 things in that cart. So finally, he beat me, <laughs> and I'm like, no. No, and I'm thinking like, I gotta get to the church. This guy's a devil. 
he's the enemy trying to keep us from having revival. And I'm like sitting there like just, oh, 400 items in his deal. And then he's like, he turns and he looks at me. And he goes, oh, you only have one item. Why don't you go ahead? And I'm like, I'm the devil. I'm terrible. This man's an angel. And like immediately my feelings toward him changed. And I was like, no, 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 you go ahead. I was thinking, this is like purgatory. I need to just like be purged here as you get 400 items checked. And I'm like, ah. So anyways, I'm just like thinking, oh, please don't ask me what I do for a living. Please don't ask me what I do for a living. Anyways, so he's getting all this stuff checked out. And I got my one sandwich and it took a long time. But it was amazing, like my, my feelings toward him. When I was first like, like, oh, how could he do this? And how could someone 85 years old go so fast? And I'm, I'm not <laughs> processing all of it. And then all of a sudden, like, like now he's like the nicest old gentleman. And, 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 and all because of emotions, not because of fact, not because of what I know, not because of anything except my feelings. And you have feelings and you have emotions and they're real. And there's times where you hurt and there's times where you ask the hard question, God, if you're good, then Why? If you love me, how did you let this happen and that happen? And in our emotion, we make ideas. We create ideas about God. And the emotional doubt begins to set in. In fact, there was a man by the name of Charlie. He was, he was a, a young man when he started his research. He started doing research. And um, he wasn't a religious man, but he, 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 he came from kind of a family that was moderately religious. But his wife was very religious. And so in his research, he began to kind of have, you know, some doubts, but they were just doubts and no big deal until a decade or two later, they end up having, he and his wife end up having another child and he's much older at this time. And it was a little girl named Anne. They named her Anne. Well, Anne is 10 years old and gets scarlet fever and she dies. Anne was Charlie's world. When she died, it broke his heart. He was so angry. We know him today as Charles Darwin. What ended up happening is those doubts that started when he was young were reinforced by the emotional anguish that he had. How could this happen? Eight years later, he ends up publishing and becoming the apostle of Darwinian evolution, publishing The Origin of Species that changed the secular scientific world forever. And it wasn't just some breakthrough. In fact, this Darwinian evolution theory, natural selection, is still in many cases a theory. It doesn't, create, it doesn't give us the origin of life because we see life. We go, if there's a chicken, we know that a chicken came from another chicken. Life comes from life. Life doesn't come from non-life. So it doesn't answer all the questions. It does not answer all the questions. That's another apologetic lesson for another day. But here's the point. It was fueled by his pain, not by his findings. And many times people make assumptions and ideas about God not based on the evidence but based on the emotion and the unmet expectations that they have about God. Can I tell you this? If Jesus was your pastor, you'd be backslid. You would. Jesus didn't even come to visit John the Baptist. 
Jesus was four days late to his best friend's funeral. Lazarus dies. Jesus could have come and healed the dude. He could have come and at least come to the funeral. He comes four days later, and Jesus says this, you're going to be offended. There's going to be many opportunities in this life from people outside of the church, people inside the church, for you to have offense. And woe to them who are offended. Why? Because those offenses and those unmet expectations, they turn into emotional doubt that can change your faith forever. And there's something in our human being that wants to know why. We want to know why. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. There's an old rabbinical story that was told for centuries, back before the days of Jesus, up to the days of Jesus. And there's many neat rabbinical stories. This is like a parable, if you will. It was a story about a prophet, kind of like the Elijah, Elisha story, a prophet who's going to the land. And as he's going, a young man says, I want to follow you. And the, and the prophet says, you can follow me, but you can never ask why. If you ask why, you don't get to follow me anymore. So the young man agreed. He was thinking in his mind, like, well, why can't I ask why? But don't ask why. I can't ask why. So he didn't ask why. He couldn't ask why. But he is following the prophet. So the prophet is going through the land. And they come to a city. And as they're coming into the city, into the gate, on the side of the path, there's these men digging a ditch because the city's in famine. And these men begin to say, where's your God? Why isn't it raining? Why is... And they start mocking and scoffing at this prophet. They begin to accuse him, and the prophet just keeps walking, goes into the gates. Nobody welcomes the prophet. Nobody helps the prophet. The prophet and the boy have to sleep in the town center on the ground all night long. When the prophet and the boy get up the next day, and they're leaving the city, the prophet takes his cloak off, waves it, and out of that little ditch, water explodes. And the boy's thinking, why in the world would the prophet do that for them who mocked and scorned and scoffed at the prophet? I don't get it, but I'm not asking why because I don't want to be in trouble. So he just passed. A couple days later, they're walking along. There's a river. And there's a man crossing a bridge. And the man sees the prophet and waves and says, hey, prophet, how are you doing? And the prophet waves back and the prophet stops for a moment. He gets his cloak, he waves at the man, falls off the bridge, breaks both legs, and the young man's like, what in the world? Now it's getting crazy up in here. Maybe he even used the word cray-cray, not sure, but things are getting cray-cray up in here, but I'm not going to ask why. So finally, that evening, they get to a widow's home, and they knock on the door, and the prophet says, the young lad and I need a place to stay. The woman said, we have a little bit of meal, a small little home, but you're welcome to come and stay here. The next morning, as the prophet and the boy are leaving the house, the prophet takes off the cloak, waves it, and the woman's only cow, her only source, he waves it, and the cow drops dead, and the boy throws his hands up and says, okay, done. Why, 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 why? I don't understand. The prophet says, I know. If you say why, you cannot follow me anymore. He goes, I want to know why you did that. Why did you do it for those men that were digging the ditch? That doesn't make sense, he says, because they were just feet away from finding riches in the earth, and I gave them the water instead. He said, well, with the man that was crossing the bridge, it makes no sense. He waves at you, and, and, and he falls, and he breaks both of his legs. What is up with that? He says, that man was about to go and make a terrible mistake and decision that would begin to erode his soul and change his heart and ultimately destroy his mind and his eternal destination. He said, but this one event altered that and changed that 
He says, well, what about this cow? I don't understand. Why? The woman is a widow. Why take her only source? He says, last night the death angel came, and I wrestled with the death angel all night long, all night long, because the death angel came for her baby, her only baby, and I convinced the death angel to take the cow instead. He said, you never know why. And here's the point of this old parable, the rabbinical parable was this, is that God's ways are above our ways. We can't comprehend it. We can't understand why did this happen? How did this happen? But here's what we want to do. We want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to say, why would, how can babies die? But in the same breath say, why didn't you kill Hitler when he was a baby? And you can't have your cake and eat it too. And some people get so mad at God, and I've had to give bad news to good people, and it hurts, and it hurts emotionally. I've been there before. I've had to make those phone calls. I know what it's like. And it's hard to look at them and say, God's in control. I know you're young, and I know you have kids, but God is in control. And we have a hope for one, healing, and two, eternal life forever. We can offer hope with the gospel of Jesus. What's the other alternative? Excuse me. Um, yeah, this is just uh, Darwinian evolution happening, natural selection. Evolution has chosen that your bad genes do not get to continue and be passed on to other people. So we shouldn't be mourning. We should be celebrating that you have this metastasized cancer. Is that the answer? Does that make sense morally? Does that make sense emotionally? Absolutely not. Sometimes the truth hurts, and sometimes there are seasons where you don't understand why it's happening the way it's happening. But that's what faith is about. That's why we put, our, we put our life on the rock, the unmovable rock, because all of the ground is sinking sand. And you're going to have those days of emotional doubt. You're going to have those moments when you, it's not an intellectual, intellectual doubt. It's not volitional doubt. It's just emotional doubt. You're going, I don't get the why. And God keeps reminding us, my ways are above your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts. Would you stand? The dark night of the soul will come. But Jesus asked this one question. He said, when the Son of Man returns to the earth, will he find faith. Will he find faith? When the Son of Man comes back to earth, will he find faith in the earth? I close with this story. My wife and I had the privilege of, of traveling for a couple years before God brought us to Sonoma County and planted us here. While we were traveling, we ministered a couple times at a church in Texas, and the pastor of the church told the story of a woman in the church who had given her life to the Lord, been changed, transformed, and she was there, and she began to serve God. She was faithful, but her husband never came to the Lord. And for like almost two decades, maybe 15, 18 years, she'd been serving. She was a Sunday school teacher, and her husband never, ever even budged, had conversations, talked, Nothing, no movement. And so she felt like there was a promise that her husband would come. That she felt like she'd done, she'd lived the life and she had, she had been a light and an example. And she's going, I don't get it. 
And it wasn't a decision. She just began to drift and drift in her emotional doubt. And she got more confused and more frustrated. Until finally she came to her pastor one day. And the pastor's wife came over to their home and she said, I'm done with God. I'm done with church. It's over. I'm I'm not teaching anymore. I don't even have faith anymore. It's over. And the pastor in his wisdom said, that's fine respect you and love you. She goes, I love you guys. She goes, but I do not believe anymore. The pastor said, I want to ask you one request. One request that I'd love for you to keep and I want you to promise me before I ask. She goes, what is it? I don't want to. He says, nope, I want you to make me a promise that you'll keep this one promise. I don't know if I make just this one, 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 please, just one. Fine, fine. Okay, what is it? He said, I want you to come back one more Sunday and teach that Sunday school class one more time. Oh, pastor, I'll be a hypocrite. It's okay, be a hypocrite. Come and teach one more time. So, Sunday morning, she wakes up, she's getting ready, just a few minutes away from leaving the house to go to church. And her husband from the back room, the bedroom, says, honey, hey, babe, Where's my shoes? The good ones, my good shoes. She went, what? She looks at her watch. She's like, my lazy boy should be asleep right now. What's he doing up? Honey, where's my, where's my dress pants? She goes back to the back bedroom. She goes, what, 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 what's happening? Where, where are you going? He said, you know what? I woke up this morning, and while you were getting ready, I realized you've been pulling this way. I've been pulling that way. Today, I'm going to go to church and be with you. And that day, he went and started his journey with Jesus. Let me just tell you, even in your emotional doubt, even in your pain, God is faithful. John, tell John, I know it's not how he thought it was going to be, but people's lives are being changed. People are being healed. People are being delivered. The gospel is being preached. People are being transformed. Let John know this was not for naught. You did your part. You set this up. You you gave me the platform. You gave me the opportunity. Your life matters. Don't forget. In the dark night of the soul, don't forget. Don't forget. He knows exactly where you are. Would you close your eyes? Would you lift your hands and your hearts with me? I'm going to tell you, someone today, maybe you feel like you're just out in orbit. You don't know where you're going. You, you don't know. You feel like you're not even on God's radar. Can I tell you today in Jesus' name, don't let emotional doubt push you away from God's table. Keep your heart open. He's faithful. He's good. He's righteous. He loves you. He knows right where you are, even in your pain and even in your doubts. He's faithful. For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.